Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. Happy New Year. It is good to be back with you again after taking some time off between Christmas and New Year's, and I'm looking forward to this next sermon series that we are starting this Sunday. Uh, Before we begin, let me read the passage that we'll be focusing on. This is going to come from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 12 uh, through 26. I'm going to skip a couple of verses in there to shorten it a bit. It's not really applicable to the, the passage. So um, starting Acts 1 again, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit through David, foretold concerning Judas, who had become a guide for those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And now I'm jumping to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. I don't know about you, but sometimes my to-do lists can be a little bit overwhelming. And so uh, I do my best at times to prioritize, of course, that makes the most sense. What are the things that need to get done that day, uh, and what are things that can be held off uh, for a few days or maybe even a few weeks. And But there are days where I just like, I have no idea. I have no idea where I want to start. I don't know which is most important. And so I discovered something on Google the other day. Uh, there is something called the random number generator, where you just simply give the random number generator a range of numbers. So from one to say 20. So if you have 20 things on your to-do list, you type in 1 through 20, click a button, and boom, it does what it says it does. The random number generator randomly gives you a number, so number 8. And so I have done this from time to time when I don't want to go through the process of trying to figure out which is most important and let Google tell me where I should give my energies. I'm not recommending this for a consistent practice by any means. It's just occasionally uh, something that I do to kind of mix things up a little bit. 
So what do we do when we have big decisions to make? And this is the beginning of our sermon series that we are calling What Next? as we try to do in the Christian faith discernment. And how do we go about doing that? And how do we know what God wants us to do? As I was thinking about this whole process of discernment, I thought about one of the most important times of discernment in my own life. This was 20 plus years ago in early 1998 when I was really trying to figure out what to do. I was about to graduate from seminary, and I didn't know what direction to take. As some of you know, I had some interest in religious journalism. Uh, for a time, I thought maybe I wanted to go into college ministry. And so I had some options in front of me. I could stay where I was. I was a student pastor at Riverside United Methodist Church in the western suburbs of Chicago. I had started the process of interviewing with a magazine called Sojourners. I had uh, applied for and had a telephone interview with a campus ministry in a small town in Vermont. Uh, and then I also had an offer to go back to my home state of Iowa and pastor there. And so I had all these different options. None of them felt like it was a slam dunk. This is what we should do. And so I was struggling with that process. What do I do and how do I go about doing that? Well, you know, over and over again in life, we find ourselves faced with decisions, both large and small, that might impact our future. So, for example, what job to take? What things should I study? Whether to date or marry or who should that be? We also find ourselves engaged in the ongoing process of figuring out who we want to be no matter what happens, how we want to live out our values, how do we build intimacy with God in everything and anything the future brings. So, as I noted earlier in Christianity, we call this process discernment, trying to get a sense of connecting to the will of God. And this sermon series that we start this week is all about discernment. How do we figure things out? How do we invite the Holy Spirit's participation? How do we make the sometimes hard decisions about what comes next? So we find a process in our scripture today from this book of Acts. So the disciples had to make a decision, lots of decisions really, but Specifically, who should be our next disciple? So to take it back a little bit, so earlier in Acts 1, the very beginning of the book of Acts, and so one thing to note, the book of Acts, also most scholars believe, was written by the author of the Gospel of Luke. So as I've noted before, John, if you look in your New Testament in the Bible, John kind of interrupts things. It might be a little bit better idea for the editors of the New Testament but to put Luke and Acts together so that it would be one big story. So earlier in Acts 1, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, had spent some time with the resurrected Christ, and he then went about what was called the ascension, ascending up to heaven. And the disciples are really perplexed by all of this, understandably so. They thought they knew what was going on, and now Jesus has left them. He has promised them that he will be with them through this thing called the Holy Spirit, and yet they see this miraculous thing happening, and so understandably... Probably many of them are asking the question, what next? Now what do we do? So, as I noted, one decision they have to make is, well, we have to replace Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. And so we see here in this passage the disciples showing us several different resources that they use in their decision-making. And these are the same things that we can use today in 2019. And they are, some examples are, that the disciples called upon prayer. So they gathered in the, the upper room, shell-shocked, having no idea what to come, what comes next. So we see throughout, particularly in Acts 1 and Acts 2, times of real prayer, trying to get a sense of what God is, 
is doing in their lives. And we can do the same thing too. Sometimes when we pray and spend time in silence or going for a walk or whatever, it comes to us like we just have a sense that God is is acting in our lives. And sometimes, frankly, we fall asleep and we don't really know what we're doing when it comes to prayer. But thankfully, that's not the only way, the only thing the disciples show us. They call upon community. So they gather, they discuss, they talk amongst themselves, they run ideas by each other. This is probably one of my favorite ways of discernment. I love talking with people and asking them, what do you think about this? And so we see the disciples doing that. And I'll share a little bit later uh, how I did that in the decision about what I was going to do uh, 20 years ago. The disciples called upon scripture and history for examples of others to interpret the situation. So we see here Peter calls upon the book of Psalms to try to guide them in doing so. This is the wonderful thing about the Bible. It's really a a live text, something written centuries ago, and yet we believe as Christians the Spirit still brings these words alive. So we might read a passage or we might read a story and it relates, it connects to what we are going through here. And that can be helpful for us in guiding us and deciding what to do in a certain situation. One interesting thing that the disciples do too, and I think sometimes uh, for us in the 21st century, it might seem a little odd, but they call upon chance. So maybe there's not an obvious answer. And so the disciples decide to cast lots. Now we In some ways, it's a little bit puzzling for us today to understand and know exactly what casting lots meant. I think I'd always had a sense it was like rolling dice. Doing a little bit of research on this, I found a picture actually of an example of the archaeologists found these little flat stones. And they believe that in the first century that there were some Jews not affiliated with the Christian movement, the Jesus movement, but they were... uh, going up against the Roman authorities, and they were trapped in this uh, location. And so rather than being captured, they decided that they should essentially choose one person to kill all the others. They would rather do that than have the Romans capture them. And so these archaeologists have found these little flat stones with names on them. And so so they surmise that this is how they decided who should be the one to go through all of this. So The scriptures show us many, many examples, both in the Older and Newer Testaments, about people casting lots as a way to try to figure out what God is is going to do. Uh, And so today we might think, well, that seems kind of silly. Is that really, is it chance? Is it randomness? Is this how we should really decide? But when we think about our own lives, perhaps in decisions that we've made, mysterious things happen to us. A coincidence that may actually be a holy coincidence Someone interrupts our day, or we get a phone call or a text or an email at just the right time, and it just might seem a little odd that it happened mysteriously at that moment. And so I think we have to open ourselves when discerning to mystery, to what might be things that come upon us uh, that we might not have expected. For those who really like to plan, they really want to know, all right, tell me how many minutes I should pray, tell me which scriptures I should read, tell me all of these things in order to make this decision. But sometimes the mystery of God is one way that works in our lives too, in ways that we just can't explain. So these are just some of the ways that the disciples used in order to try to get a sense of decisions that had to be made. And I think they are things that we could uh, do too. So what gets in the way though? What gets in the way of us making decisions in the first place? There are lots of things in our own discernment. I think one of the main things really comes down to this, that we don't want to 
bring about disappointment. We don't want to bring about disappointment in others. That we, in other words, we don't want to make a decision. We don't want others to be disappointed in us. In us, we don't want to disappoint ourselves. We don't want to make this decision and then further down the road think, "Oh man, that was dumb. <laughs> that was the dumb decision that I made." Or perhaps again, for people of faith, probably the most important thing: we don't want to disappoint God. So you may have grown up with a tradition that really emphasized that there is one will for your life. There is one way for you to live the life that God desires for you. That puts a lot of pressure uh, on us in that process. But I believe uh, one of our staff members, uh, Emily McGinley, reminded me and us this week of uh, a phrase that I've heard before of God's economy. And as Emily explains it, that nothing in God's economy is wasted, that every good bad, mediocre decision can be used in service to God's work in the world if we are pursuing God's work with faithfulness and our best attentiveness to the leading of the Spirit. I love this way that Emily describes this and summarizes this for us. And actually, one of our other staff members pointed out, Hannah pointed out an article this week that actually ran in the Harvard, uh, a Harvard Business Review uh, about decisions that people make. And I'm going to take this from the quote-unquote secular world as a way for us to really think about how we can make decisions. Because the article points out that sometimes when people think about decisions that need to be made, they think or they, they uh, bring up the question, what should I do? What should I do? And that connotes that there is a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. You may remember in our last sermon series, either or thinking. But the article says maybe a better way of thinking about this is not what should I do, but instead to think about what could I do? Like, what are the options before me? And as you reframe it in that way, we realize that there is not one exact way that we can do this. That if we are faithful, that if we believe that we have God in our lives, if we are truly believing that we are living into God's love, that there are numerous ways that we can live into this. And going with this whole uh, interest, this concept of God's economy, that everything can be used for God's good in the world. So the article talks about a study that had the studies that have been done in the past about this kind of concept of what could I do versus what should I do in my life. So for example, in 1987, researchers gave participants an assortment of random objects, including a rubber band, So some of them, they split them up. Some of them were asked, think about all these random objects. Think about what they were. Think about what they were. The other group was asked, now we want you to think about what the objects could be. You see the difference here? So one group says, all right, here's all these random objects. Think about what they are. The other ones, the other group asked what these objects could be. So can you see the difference here? What should these be used for? What could these be used for? And so then, after spending some time looking at all these different objects, they then uh, were asked to, they were given a piece of paper, and there was a mark on the paper. And they said, we want you to erase this mark. Now, an eraser was not part of the random objects. But the people who had been primed to think what could these objects be used for were more likely to recognize that a rubber band could be used in lieu of an eraser compared to those who considered what those objects were. I had no idea that this was the case. I tested it this week 
Rubber bands can be used as erasers. I'm here to testify to this fact. But I love this. One group was said, this, we want you to think about what these objects are. The other group, what these objects could be. And the group that thought about the possibilities, the different ways of thinking about it, they were able to figure out, huh, it doesn't have to be just a black and white kind of an uh, uh, answer. This leads me, of course, to always thinking about uh, the quote that I have said numerous times in my sermons. I think I say it at least every year. So here's my uh, annual reading of the quote by Thomas Merton, the uh, big spiritual author in the 20th century, who said this about discernment and about uh, trying to figure out what to do with his life. Merton wrote, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. I love this. I love this because it speaks to, I think, what we all say in our lives. I have no idea where I'm going, but desiring to please God does in fact please God and the trust that God will never leave us alone. So now let me go back to my story about discerning what to do uh, in 1998. As I probably noted, I had just turned 30. I was graduating from seminary, and I did not know what to do. I had lots of options on the table. And so I went back through my journals. I've kept, I've written in journals for since I graduated from college. So that is now, gosh, almost 30 years ago. And so I pulled out my journal from 1998, and it was fascinating to go back and see my process and how I went through this process of trying to discern what God wants me to do. And it aligned with some of the things that the disciples did in the book of Acts. So here I'm writing, this is April 10th, 1998. It's Good Friday. I'm I'm a student pastor at this church in Riverside. I've just been, I think I mentioned, I've been offered this position to go back to Iowa and serve as an associate in this large church. And so this day, uh, I'm writing on the morning of April 10th, I had decided to take the job. I decided we're going to go back to Iowa. And so on that day, we're going to drive in a a town called Cedar Rapids. We're going to drive to the church, meet the pastor, uh, meet the in the United Methodist Church, the district superintendent and go through this process. So here I'm reading from my journal and I wrote this. After tossing and turning and feeling wrenched emotionally, I decided Wednesday night to take the position as associate pastor at this church in Cedar Rapids. And then I wrote Cedar Bleeping Rapids, except I didn't put bleeping or didn't write bleeping in my journal. So clearly I was not thrilled about this decision. But here's interesting. Kay Dillard said I should go to Iowa, and that was pretty influential. Kay Dillard was essentially my supervisor here in Northern Illinois. So she said, you should go to Iowa. So that was a pretty big part of my own decision-making, huh? So you can see I, I was talking to a lot of people about what I should do, and her opinion mattered a lot. But I continued writing in my journal. I said, but I, broke, but I break into a sweat and feel a little nauseous when I think about going back to Iowa. 
So here, this is kind of the mysterious, paying attention to how does it make you feel? Like, what does it do inside you? Clearly, I was not on board fully with doing this uh, trip, going back to this trip. And then in my journal, I continued. I said, I read Matthew 10 yesterday. Jesus sends the disciples out telling them to do many things. So I was reading the scriptures every day. Matthew 10 was one that was influential for me in trying to figure out. That's the passage where uh, Jesus sends the disciples out into the world. And so I was trying to connect that to what Jesus was telling me to do. Am I supposed to go out into the world? And if so, how does that look? What should I do? So this is a, a long story, a much longer story than I have time for. But what I ended up doing was we went to visit the pastor in Cedar Rapids. On the way home, I felt like I just, I mean, literally couldn't breathe. I'm like, I cannot come back here. So I changed my mind. Easter morning, I decide on a whim to fly to Vermont and look at this town in Vermont at what this other job might be. So I flew to Vermont on Easter, got a speeding ticket on the way from Boston to this little town of Vermont, woke up early Monday morning, looked at the town, had the same feeling like, I can't do this either. So then, uh, again, long story, but what ending up happening, I did none of the above. Initially, I decided not to go back to Iowa. I decided I can't go to Vermont. Meanwhile, the people in the Chicago area, the powers that be in this conference, you know, at the church had essentially said, you're taking too long. This Riverside job is not on the table either. So now I was had no decision. So the decision was to, to wait and to trust, to see what is God going to do in my life? Well, what ended up happening is the people at Riverside United Methodist Church uh, stood up for me and they really made my case. Uh, and they said, we want him to stay. We want him to be our pastor. And so that ended up being the decision that I decided to make. Now, I could tell you that, that this was that the heavens opened up and this decision was the best thing for me and that I had no qualms at ever about staying. So now let me read to you, this is Monday, July 6th. So this is about two and a half months later. I am fully on board, full-time pastor of Riverside United Methodist Church. This is what I write in my journal. I feel paralyzed. I had been confident, excited, joyful about coming here, but now I'm full of panic, uncertainty, doubt. I feel like I don't know anything, that I'm helpless. Who am I that people would respect my authority? God has given me so much, has loved me so much. All I can do is love God and love others. So this is the thing about discernment. We may spend all kinds of time making the decision. We might do all the right things. We've prayed. We've read the scriptures. You may even cast lots. You've talked to trusted people. You've done all the things. You make the decision. And you may get to the point where you realize, what have I done? What decision have I made? So I want to encourage people, to give people encouragement that even when you make decisions that you think is the right thing, it may not turn out to be the right thing. And that's where you have to continually discern. For for me, I just kept at it. And I decided that, yes, this was the right place for me, even in the midst of struggle, even in, as I was continuing to question, did I right to make the decision? So this is a constant, discernment is a constant process. And we trust in God's economy that every decision that we make, God will use that decision for good, that God will use that decision for good. And that even on those days when we think, I have no idea what I'm doing, all I can do is love God and love others and take this day as it is. And then to continually discern, 
Did I make the right decision? Do I need to do something else? It's ongoing, which on the one hand can be super frustrating, but I think also can encourage us to make us realize that this process, we will never fully arrive and think this is exactly where I am and every day is just going to be perfect. Like I know this is exactly what I want to do with my life or this is exactly what I want to do for this day. There are times we might not feel like uh, that that's the case. But this is the process of discernment, and it's something that uh, has always garnered my uh, own interest and attention throughout my own faith life, and I hope it can be for yours too. So I hope that you will continue to join us in this process of these sermon series as we go into more detail about some of these ways that we can discern in the future, uh, knowing that we take these steps uh, with a little bit of trepidation, but also knowing that God is with us as we do so. Amen. Well, as I'm looking at my time today, I realize I'm going a little bit longer than normal. So this speaks perhaps to my excitement or my interest in this whole topic. So my apologies for going a little bit longer. Uh, But I hope that you will take some of what uh, we've shared today and be able to use it in your own life. Uh, We are starting at Urban Village, this really interesting thing. So starting uh, next Monday, January 7th, we are sending out daily emails for 30 days. They're very short, like two or three sentences about discernment. And we're going to be sending these out every single day. So if you want to receive these emails, uh, you can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter at Christian Kuhn, and I'll put you on the list. And you can receive these daily emails. They'll only be, we'll be doing it for 30 days, so you won't receive them forever. But uh, hopefully that might be a really good way for you to begin this discernment process. Um, thanks for listening. I am grateful for your... Uh, encouraging words that you send out to me. I'm grateful for your downloading and telling others about this podcast. And so until next week, may the peace of Christ be with you. My love.